So we're in our journey through Genesis, and this story uh, is absolutely incredible, what God has been revealing of himself and the story of us. And, you know, we, we're seeing, again, the, the unfolding of so many things. It's the, the book of beginnings. Uh, it's the, the book that is showing the, the very start of all things, and then showing how God, who God is in, in foundational ways and how he walks with us. And now when we're looking at story and you look at the, um, the title that's there, um, Genesis chapter 29, Jacob marries Leah and Rachel. Okay, that just, from the start, okay, that, that sounds like, like this is going to be problematic, isn't it? <laughs> You're right, it is. But what we're going to see as we walk through this is that there's a, a beauty in God's provision, and we're going to see how God takes the, the mess up and the mixed up, and he brings blessing and beauty through it. Uh, and and that's, isn't that the story of our lives as we surrender to him? We see how he takes the, the brokenness. He, he takes the failings. He, he takes the th- places where we've fallen short and where we wish we could have a redo. And God says, no, I'm here in it. And I want to move in it. I want to move through it. And I want to do great things. Uh, but there's a huge thing that, that jumps out in this passage. And, it's a, it, and I, just, I just saw it as I read the passage over and over and again. It's comparison. And, you know, comparison, that... that it, it's, it's looking at two and, and having favor or giving a preference to one of the two, okay? So we're going to be looking at, at, at comparison today, and uh, there are positive things to comparison, but we're going to see here today how there's uh, some things of, that comparison can really mess things up, and we've seen this in this family already, haven't we, where there's been favoritism and, and it hasn't played out so well, but we're going to be looking at comparisons today. So I've been more aware of it because I've been studying and preparing to teach now, but um, do we realize how much comparison is part of our lives? Like, I mean, just think, of, again, even if you've read this passage, you know, in preparation for today, I don't know if this jumped out at you the way it's been to me, but, but I'm like being convicted more and more and more of how much of my thinking and my life is based in comparisons. So like even today, um, there have been comparisons that every one of us have, have dealt with in our thinking and in our actions. And, and again, some things are very normal. It's a comparison of, well, am I going to wear this or this today? Am I going to eat this or, or eat that? You know, so there's things that are just natural in comparison, but yet comparison so many times leads to judgments and leads to things that, um, that can be very negative uh, when we're, again, giving preference to one over the other. So a couple of weeks ago, um, we talked about generational influences, how one thing can be past propensities from one generation to the next. And that can be things that are negative. It can be things that are positive. Uh, you know, I started the message by saying, like, you know, the, the saying like father, like son, and I explained in our family how humor is something that is, has been passed down. Again, can be positive, can be negative. Um, but there's, I was brought back to this one story, and um, it's a joke that my dad told that he passed down to me. And I told it when I was a little kid, and the situation is this, is that my one aunt had just had major surgery, and my dad and I went over to visit. That's a good thing to do, right? My dad says, Mark, tell her the joke, this joke. And I told it to her, and she started laughing, and like it caused (laughs) some problems because she just had major surgery, and she started laughing, and she couldn't help it. But, okay, this is really bizarre. I'm going to share the joke with you, okay? Because I think it it talks, if anybody just had major surgery, um, just cover your ears now. Yeah. It, it's funnier when you're five. But, um, but it's about comparison. It's about this man who bought a suit, 
okay? And he, he pays for the suit. He puts the suit on. He's walking down the street. And as he's walking, he's taking a step. And he realizes, wait, this one pants leg is longer than the other. So he goes back to, the, uh, to where he bought the suit. And he explains, like, this isn't right. Brand new suit. And this one pants leg is longer than the other. And, and the, the, the salesman says, well, that's not a problem at all. He said, all you got to do is just pull up that pants leg and put your knees together. And you'll be fine. It'll be the same length. So he's walking down the street like that. And he's looking at his pants legs, comparing them. And now they're the same length, but look at his sleeves and one's longer than the other. So he goes back and explains, and what do you think the solution is? It's not to fix the sleeve. It's, okay, we'll just pull that sleeve up and, and just hold it against you like this. So now he's walking down the street like this, you know, and, as, and, and he's looking down and he realizes, oh my goodness, the, the coat, the one side is longer than the other. So he goes back and the, the guy, well, obviously it's not fix the suit. It's there, there's a solution. You've compared things aren't even. Let's even it out. So he says, just pull up that side and then tuck it underneath your chin. So, you know, he's walking down the street like this. And these two ladies are sitting on a park bench and they're looking, they're seeing this man. And one lady looks, looks to the other and she says, oh, that poor man. I feel so sorry for him. He must be in such misery and such pain. The lady looked back at her and said, yeah, but doesn't his suit fit nice? <laughs> Thank you for humoring me with the laughter. And it was funnier when I was five, okay? But, but the thing is, is that the comparison can like throw us all out of whack, right? You know, we're trying to get things evened out and we're trying to do things. And, and, you know, and what we're gonna see is that, that this literally happens in the story, that comparison throws things all over the place but there's beauty that comes out of it. And, you know, for these ladies that was, you know, admiring a suit, but there's something so much more beautiful uh, that we're going to be looking at as we look at today's, today's passage. But there are times, again, that I've said that, that comparison can be a positive thing. You know, uh, when you're picking out fruit in the produce section, you want to pick something that's ripe rather than something that's rotten. Right? When you're choosing to do something that could be a, a risky thing, we want to pick something that's safe over something that could bring peril. You know, there, there are comparisons that are important, that, that are necessary parts of our lives, but then we get into these other areas where comparison can be very destructive. And it's often when we look at people and we look at situations and we're, we're saying, you know, like sayings like, I could never, like I could never do something as good as them. You know, or I would never do something as bad as them. You know, I would never go there. I would never buy that. I would never, you know, and, and what happens is that when we point these comparisons to each other, it often becomes this jockeying thing in our minds and it plays out in our actions of positioning ourselves above others or placing others above ourselves. You know, some of us, you know, we can say that, that, that in our comparisons, we're put, constantly putting others down so we're building ourselves up. Others of us, we're constantly looking at others and pushing ourselves down. And, you know, most of us, I think all of us are probably a mixed bag of this. But comparison, I mean, there's, again, there are a lot of negative things associated with it. So I looked up and there's a lot of quotes about comparison on the internet. But one, so I'm going to share a couple of them with you. But one that we've talked about uh, repeatedly here at Grace is that comparison kills community. That comparison can kill this, the communion and the coming together that God calls us to as the body of Christ. Comparison is the thief of joy. Think about that. Comparison is the thief of joy. Happiness is found when you stop comparing yourself with other people. 
That when, again, when we're in that comparing mode, we're not going to find true happiness. Uh, another quote, never compare your inside with somebody's outside. And that happens all the time. Like, like we're reading situations and people and, and circumstances from the outside, but we don't know what's going on. We know what's going on inside of us, kind of. Not completely, maybe, but, we, so, but we're comparing what's going on on our inside to what they're presenting on the outside. It's not a, it's not a good comparison. And this other, uh, this last one that I want to share has more to do with um, like, like the making of a movie or something like that. But listen to this. The reason we struggle with insecurity is because we compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. Can you say social media? I mean, this is so much a part of our life. In fact, think about this is that, that everything, I think, I haven't done a full analysis of this, but I believe everything like in advertising is a, a lead in comparison. Saying like, you know, this is so wonderful. You don't have it, you need it, right? Isn't it showing you what you don't have so you'll get this or get that? It, it, it's, it, this can be so destructive and it's around us, it's in us and it's in this story and we're going to see what God wants to do with it. He wants to take comparison and bring incredible beauty out of it. But for us to see this, we need God. Uh, so let's just offer ourselves to him right now and just ask him to speak to us individually and collectively as a congregation. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your goodness, for your faithfulness. God, we thank you for the privilege that we have to gather together on this beautiful day and to celebrate you. We thank you that we can celebrate what you are doing we thank you that we can uh, celebrate your life in and through one another. And God, we thank you that we have the gift of your word. So Lord, we pray that you would help us now, God, to um, just allow you to speak your word, which is life and truth, into our lives. And God, lead us closer to yourself. Lord, I pray that you would lead the words that I would say, that uh, they would be of you. And God, that you would help us to, again, hear you speaking to us personally and individually. And God, we thank you that you haven't come to condemn, you've come to bring life. And Lord, we pray that that life in you will be found in a greater way in every single one of us. And we ask this in the precious, the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Everyone said, amen, amen. So last week, uh, if you were able to hear, and if you weren't able to hear, we want, you to, we want to encourage you to go back and to hear Pastor Ben's message from Genesis chapter 28. Uh, but last week, it, it started with a surprise when we look, looked at that chapter where uh, Jacob had done a terrible thing. He had lied and, and deceived his father and had stolen a blessing. But then Isaac surprisingly gives a blessing to Jacob. That, that it's, it seems so uh, surprising, but it was beautiful that, that Isaac blesses his son Jacob and he sends him out. He commissions him to go uh, back to the land of Jacob's or, or to Abraham's origin and to find a wife there. So he begins a journey, and on that journey, that's what we looked at last week, he, he was still close to home, he was at a place that was going to be named Bethel because of what happens here, he has a dream, and in that dream, God confirms the covenant, it's a covenant that had been given to his grandfather Abraham, to his father Isaac, and now that covenant is given to him, and God's words, I want, want you to specifically hear this part of what God speaks to Jacob, he says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. Man, those, those words, can you let them resonate? Those words came to him in that place that, that Ben shared about, like that liminal space, the place where there can be emptiness, where we feel like we're all alone, where it seems so without life, and then God shows up. Because those liminal spaces, those times, wilderness places in our lives, 
are, are usually times of transition and can be times of transformation. And it was in that place that, again, uh, God gave Jacob this dream, and he said, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. And then the last couple verses of the chapter, want to look at that, the end of chapter 28, beginning with verse 20, Scripture says this, Then Jacob, in response to this, Jacob made a vow saying, If... And I have in brackets or since. So that's interpretation. When uh, Ben was talking about the, in the original Hebrew, that, that word can be interpreted if, which is conditional, or it could be in since, which is responsive. So if or since God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I will return safety, safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God. And this stone he had just set up, as, a, as an altar, this stone that I've set up as a pillar, pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So, you know, Ben talked about this, that whether we would interpret this in regards to Jacob as an if-then if statement, like, God, if you do this, then I'll do this, or as a since, which is saying it's, it's responsive. Since, God, you have done this, and I have the confidence that you will do this, then I, then, then I am promising this. You know, the choice is really ours. Do we want to live conditionally, like constantly putting God to the test? Or do we want to live responsibly, knowing that God is faithful and in response to his faithfulness, to his love, to his presence, to his provision, then this is my life offered to him in worship. You know, what's interesting is that he talks about giving a tenth. And, you know, in Malachi, there's the invitation to actually test God in this, to, to put out the if. You know, to, to say, test me in this matter. You know, you know put me first in all that you are, and in your giving, give back to me the tenth. That's the, that's the tithe. Above the tithe, the, the, the tenth is the offering. And he's saying, test me in this, and I'll prove to you. I'll pour out my blessing. And God is faithful, so as we, as we give to him, we can have confidence that he will, he will provide. You know, and we have opportunity every week to give here. So I, we, we can't pass this tenth, I don't think, today without looking at this. You know, it's because of your faithfulness in giving week after week that we're here, that grace is here, that the ministries of grace is here, and that the Dream Center can happen. You know, it's because of your faithfulness in giving to the Lord. Yes, let's celebrate the opportunity to participate with him. Because there, there, that's such beauty. This isn't a have to. It's never, in fact, we're instructed, don't give out of compulsion because you have to. You know, give out of worship. We talked about being at his feet. This is part of the worship. And like for personally, I know there's, many, there's different ways that we have to give here. We have the boxes, the blue boxes that, that are here that if you want to give in person, you can certainly do that. We have the app online. There are people that mail in checks each week. But regardless of how you give, let it be in worship, responsive to God's faithfulness, confident of his promises. Now, we were always check writers, and we, were, we always liked to do it that way, and, and it was part of, of, of the worship in person. And it was, it was, honestly, it was a little bit of a challenge to me, but we switched to electronic, and we're using PushPay app now. But one of the beauties of it that I found, and this is just for me, everybody, you need to follow how God is leading you to give. But like when, when the, the money comes into account, when income comes into the account, it gives me the opportunity to first fruit, to write away the first thing that I do. I want the first money that's coming out of, of that pay, of that deposit, is to be to God. And say, God, I'm giving you, I'm trusting, I'm responding to you. I'm not earning anything, I'm worshiping you. And, and then it's putting my trust by giving him first fruits, that first tenth, and then the offering. I'm trusting him, I'm, I'm standing in confidence that he's going to be, be providing. I'm not earning it. 
I'm worshiping and, and saying, God, I trust you with what you have given me. And so, so this is what Jacob did. He encountered God and he responded in worship and in giving, in commitment. So now we're going to move into chapter uh, 29, and, and it's an incredible story. Uh, we're going to go through especially the first half rather quickly, um, and then we're going to just see, I, I think God has some really powerful things he wants to speak to us as we hit the second half of the chapter. So we begin with Genesis chapter 29, verse 1. I'm reading from NIV, but again, you can follow in whatever translation um, you, you prefer, um, but this is the word of God, Genesis 29, 1. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from the well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and, and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked his shepherds, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. Now that first verse where it says Jacob continued on his journey, remember we left him still in, in Canaan where he had the dream and he had the promise of God. Now he's traveled for probably two months and probably by himself primarily. And he comes to this place and he sees the setting. He sees a well, he sees shepherds, shepherd with sheep and with flocks and he doesn't know where he is. So he, he didn't have the, the GPS, he didn't, you know, there wasn't that, that map, but he was wondering, like, like where, where am I at? And um, so he asked the shepherds, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. And Haran was a place that Abraham, it was Abram and Sarai then, had left um, over 100 years ago. That they had left Haran and they had, had followed God's call to go to Canaan, to the promised land. So he finds out that he has reached his, def his destination because he had been sent back to the place that Abraham had come from. So we, we're now in, in, in chapter 29. This is the place that Abraham left in, in Genesis chapter 12. So we have that, that much time span. Moving on to verse 5. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know them. Know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, Is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with a sheep. Look, he said, he's still speaking to the shepherds. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to the pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then, then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. So he's asking about Laban. If you remember, Laban is um, Rebecca, who is Jacob's mother. Laban and Rebecca are brother and sister. Okay, so he's asking about Laban, and he finds that God has brought him not just to Haran, but he has brought them, him back to, to the, the family of origin. He's, there, there's this connection. Laban is his uncle, and now God has divinely, providentially, led him to a well to, uh, to, lay, to Haran, to Laban, and now here comes Rachel, Laban's daughter. Um, now, this conversation, it's about the, the well and rolling back the stone. The, the shepherds, I believe, are just explaining, say, here's how we usually do it. You know, Jacob had, had his ideas. Shepherds say, no, we don't do it like that. This is how we do it. We wait until later. Um, but we're going to see that, uh, that Jacob jumps into, into action, regardless of how they do it. Uh, Jacob has the way that he's going to do it. So again, Rachel's coming up, and we go on to verse, um, verse 10. 
When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home. And there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are, you are my own flesh and blood. So I just read that passage, but I don't know about you, but I was picturing what happened. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> I mean, really. So, so again, he just talks to these shepherds and they said, you know, you know Jacob's saying, hey, water the sheep now, it's a good time. And they can back to the pasture and all this. And they said, no, we don't do it that way. Rachel comes up and then visitor Jacob comes over to this, to this large stone and he rolls the stone away from the mouth of the well. Then he waters the sheep, Laban's sheep that Rachel has brought. And then he kisses her and then he starts weeping aloud, okay? First impressions mean everything, right? Like, really, it's, um, it seems so bizarre. I mean, put yourself there. So then uh, it says that, that Rachel hurried, hurried off, right, to, to get her dad, to get Laban, and Laban hurries up, and then they hug and they kiss, and it's just like, this is a mess, you know? I mean, it's like, like I don't know about you, like, I just kind of read it like as, you know, kind of traditional history. Like, this is just bizarre stuff. <laughs> it really is. But, but I want you to look at what's happening. There's a lot of emotion because it makes sense that there's a lot of emotion. So, you know, sometimes it gets a little hard to figure out these numbers. Like, I was really surprised when, when we heard that, you know, uh, Jacob and Esau, that, that whole thing happened when they were in their 70s. I never pictured them that age. But according to my calculations, it had been 90 to 100 years since Rebecca had left her brother Laban. If you remember... The servant, Abraham's servant, was sent to get a bride for Isaac. Isaac stayed home. Stayed home. He stayed in Canaan. So the servant was led to this place. And remember the story. So we talk about comparisons. Look back at Genesis 24, what happened there, and look at Genesis 29. In 24, if you remember, Abraham's servant comes to a well, and here comes Rebekah. And Rebekah, in that case, waters the ten camels. Okay, I mean, the, the, the similarities are pretty interesting, but we're talking almost a century of difference in time. And Laban, uh, you know, again, they saw God in it, but here's the thing, is that here's the providence of God, that God has ordained both meetings that are happening 90 to 100 years apart with the same family. So it, it becomes a little more understandable. You know, Jacob, like, he's never been here. He's now seeing this land. Maybe it was the same well, I don't know. But, but like he's now seeing this place where his mother came from, this homeland. So I mean, it, when we look at it that way, it, it makes sense that there would be this emotion and some things that may seem strange to us. But I think something that we can, can garner from this is this, is that sharing stories of what God has done glorifies God and lifts our spirits. Sharing stories of what God has done glorifies God and lifts our spirits. So, so this is part of what, what is happening today with the, with the open house, is that we're sharing stories of what God has done. And we're not saying, yay us. We're saying, yay God. We're pointing to God. We're, we're, we're glorifying God in this. And as we do that, that, that engenders encouragement. It, it, it lifts our spirits. It, it helps us to realize that we're part of something so much bigger. We're part of something that's beyond time. We're part of things that are eternal. 
know, and we need to be sharing these stories because what we're doing when we, in this, again, it's a positive comparison. When we, when we compare what happened in Genesis 24 with what happened in Genesis 29, we see that God ordains things that happens in our lives. And, you know, we can chalk it up to coincidence, but there are things that, that we look at and we can say, only God. There's no other way this could happen. Like, you, you think about this. Almost 100 years apart, and there's a well, and then the timing of Rebecca 100 years prior coming out, and now it's Rachel coming out. I mean, those are God moments. It's the providence of God, the oversight of God, and how he does it, we don't know, but he does it. And when we tell stories about what he has done, it, it, it really, it points to him, and it lifts our spirits. You know, we've been, we've been walking confessional community now uh, for many, many months, and this is, this is foundational, right? Like confessional community, we can think it's, it's just about confessing. No, it's two parts. It's confessing. It's sharing our struggles, our weaknesses, our failings. That's the confessional part. And it's testimony. It's celebrating what God has done. And in those, co- in those communities, we have that opportunity to connect as we understand, you know, that struggle that you have, I have too. I can relate to that. But then we point to God and we give testimony and it's like, while, while we're lifted, I, you have hope, you have testimony, I too can have hope and can have testimony as I look to God and I trust him. And that's what, you know, Revelation chapter 12, it's they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So we need to give God credit for the good things he's done. We can, you know, I think there, there's so many times when we miss just celebrating. We don't want to miss it today. We don't want to miss it tomorrow. You know, I've been in so many meetings. We had an elders meeting Friday morning. It's a beautiful time, but like some of the beauty was, was this very thing is that, you know, we can share the, some of the struggles we have, but then we celebrate together what God has done and what he is doing. And, and it really, it gets our eyes. It glorifies, it gets our eyes on him, glorifies him, and it, it lifts our spirits so this is what's happening. Some really incredibly beautiful things. Ready for some comparisons. Okay. We're going to move into uh, verse 15. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Uh, Leah had weak eyes, But Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Thank you. Well done. (laughs) Pretty sweet, isn't it? Um. The suite's going to get messy soon. So, so he's, he's living there a, a month just working for his, for his room and board. And Laban, you know, Laban doesn't come with an agenda at this point. He's just saying, hey, well, you know, you're going to stay here. You're going to work for a while. Uh, what do I pay you? And now the comparison starts. Okay, Jacob's looked at both daughters. He had seen Rachel first. And it really seems that it was love at first sight. I don't know, maybe it was. But then you have, well, there's Leah there, but she has weak eyes. Okay, what does that mean? There's a lot of interpretation. We won't get into that. Um, but Rachel, it says, was beautiful and a lovely figure. Okay, now that can mean a lot of things in different cultures, but it meant beautiful and a lovely figure to Jacob. So he's looking at the two and it's like, I'll pick that one. And I'll work for seven years for her. 
And here's Laban's response. It's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So what Jacob heard was, okay, you work seven years, you get Rachel. And that may have been what Laban was thinking at this time. It may not have been. We're going to see as we go forward. But what I want to look at is, is uh, I'm going to, uh, this is a planned rabbit trail, by the way. I want to look at um, this last verse, this verse 20. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. And when I was reading about this, it just, well, first of all, just, it, it really, it's an ah moment. I mean, it really, that's, that's pretty, the guy's in love. Seven years of being a shepherd, getting up early in the morning, late at night, all that. Seven years of this, and it seemed like only a few days to Jacob. But there's something in beauty in here that I think that we can, um, can garner from this. And something I read, I love the way it described it, because why did seven years seem like only a few days? First of all, he had someone to love, he had something to do, and he had something to look forward to. And when we have those three things, life is so different. When we have someone to love, and we have something to do about that love, and something to look forward to, it made seven years seem like only a few days. Now, the thing is, is that when we look at that on a human level, it's like, yeah, but, but who do I have to love? Or if I love them, what can I do? And is there really something to look forward to? And I want us to, to take this to another level. Because I think what, what Jacob experienced here is something that we see of God. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, it says that, that with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. Okay? Now, I understand that God is timeless, but specifically then, the next verse, it talks about that God is patient. You know, he's patient because he's God, obviously, but you look at God, God has someone to love. He has his creation, he has us. He has something to do. He's constantly interacting with us, whether we realize it or not, and God has something to look forward to. He's longing for when we can be with him. So if we can look at these very things, and take them vertical, all of this finds its ultimate fulfillment in God. That when, when you know, my life as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ is founded on this, is that I have someone to love. I love him because he first loved me, but it's that love relationship that's the foundation of my life. And I have something to do. I have the opportunity to commune with him to pray, to read his word, to walk with him. I have the opportunity to serve and to, and to live my life so that others can see him. And I have something to look forward to, the same thing that God has, he's looking forward to with us, is eternity in his presence. That's forever. And when we, when we can walk in this way, the daily drudgeries of life can become life-filled. And for Jacob, this was on a horizontal level. Taking care of the sheep for seven years as a, as a few days, do we realize how our life can be transformed as we follow this, this path? That we look to God as the ultimate someone to love. And we do life with him, for him, for his glory. And we look forward to his coming and to when we will be with him forever. So the setups all happened, now the major mess. Verse 21 Jacob said to Laban, okay, this is talking to his future father-in-law. Jacob said to Laban, Uncle Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed. I want to make love with her. 
How many men have said that to your father-in-law when it was wedding day? <laughs> don't, please don't raise your hand. I shouldn't have said <laughs> but, but he said, you know, I've done, I've done what you've said. My time is complete. I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place. This is their, their traditional wedding of that time. He brought together all the people of the place and, and gave a feast. But when evening came, <laughs> this is wild, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant, her, his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, <laughs> three crazy words, when morning came, there was Leah. <laughs> Okay, this is a surprise to Jacob, just so you know. Um, when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. And Jacob says, you could have led with that. You know? <laughs> like... Like, really, I mean, this, we're talking seven years of life with a hope and expectation, someone to love, something to do, someone to hope for, and there's Leah. How'd this happen? Some people would say, well, it's karma. It's secular. I'm not teaching, <laughs> I'm not teaching this. But right, it's that stuff that you put out, Jacob. It's those vibes. It's your deception. It's, it's all coming back to you. There's a scriptural explanation for it. And it says that you reap what you sow. Ouch. That applies to goodness, to godliness, and it applies to things of the flesh. That, that, that there's a reaping, there are consequences for what we do. And often, now God spares us from so much, thanks be to God. But, but there are consequences to what we do. Now, the similarities here are like eerie. I mean, it is eerie. When you think about what Jacob did, Jacob deceived his father. Now Jacob's father-in-law deceives him. Jacob pretended to be the older son, and now he gets the older daughter. Is this like bizarre? I mean, look at how it, it comes around. The consequences that, that we can experience for a sin, sin can, be, can, be, uh, can be painful. Uh, I mean, they, this is huge impact to his life. But God will use those very things to grow us and shape us, even the consequences of our sin. He will use them to grow us and shape us if we allow him. And the development of our character is really what I need. I need to develop my character. I don't need perfect situations. I need my character to be developed for my own good and for the world around me. And Jacob is being grown here. Now, I do, I have to address this, like, like honestly, you wonder, like, how could this happen? You know, I mean, but, but there's, there's, the commentaries I read have a lot of, you know, some of the explanations I thought maybe it was funny than I read them in commentaries, and they, they, they could be possible. Let me just bring a couple quick scenarios of how this may have happened. First of all is that women in that day were separated. Like that seven years, you think, oh, well, they're dating. They're together every evening after the sheep are asleep. And, you know, it's not like that. Women were very segregated in that culture, okay? So it's not like there were seven years of, uh, you know, hey, text me in the morning, you know, and, and FaceTime in the afternoon. It, it was very different, so there was separation there. Um, the celebration, the way it happened, that it was everybody coming together, but the bride would be veiled, okay? Now, 
the one thing I really wondered too is like, hey, might've been a little bit too much of this, you know, like in the wedding um, that Jacob may not have, uh, okay, may not have had the clarity he should have, okay, celebrating seven years. I'm not saying that, that, that that's what happened, but we don't know, but there was, deceit was pulled off somehow, you know, and we don't know, like, like okay, did you wonder where was Rachel? Like it's her wedding, where is she? But see, Laban, the father, would have had a lot of control over the daughters. And he could have very easily said, Rachel and Leah, this is what you're doing. Leah, you're going to put on Rachel's clothes. That could have happened. We don't know. But it could have been very similar to what Jacob did concerning Esau. Um, We don't know. But somehow the trick was pulled off and it worked. Where Rachel was removed, she was out of the picture. Leah was in the wedding bed. And it wasn't until morning that it was found out. I mean, that's, yeah. We, we don't know the details, but we know that what Scripture tells us, that there was a, a switch. And unfortunately, the switch worked for Laban and worked against, against Jacob. But think about this humiliation. That For a whole week, so this was the day after the wedding, he wakes up and there's Leah, but they're cultural, it's a, it's a bridal week, that they're treated as queen and king for a week. And he's with her, and everybody's celebrating and honoring them, and he's with the sister of the one he loves. I mean, think about that humiliation. But here's something I think is significant. Look at, we're going to see how Jacob responds. I think something happened to him on that journey from Bethel to Haran. That me time, him and God, where he's thinking about what God has said. God said, I will be with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. And there seems to be character development in Jacob because he doesn't try and do a counterpunch of deception. I mean, like, I don't, like, he could have gone off on his uncle. I mean, he had a reason to. But there's something that's being built in him. But you remember how Isaac responded? Like, when Isaac was deceived by his own son, he then followed it with a blessing. So, but there was, so these hard times, these wilderness times, were building some character in Jacob. And he, yeah, was he perfect? No. But I really respect him when I look at his response. I see how, again, how he has grown in his walk. And here's what we can look at in his life, and we can then look at our lives. Allow God to grow you so that you can graciously graciously respond to your old self. I said it that way because it points to two things. Allow God to grow you so that you can graciously respond to your old self. One thing is that I need to deal with my past. I need to bring that past under God. I need to allow God to to bring me not not just the knowledge of forgiveness, but yet of freedom. You know, as far as the the east is from the west, so so has God removed our iniquities, our transgressions from us. You know, that that I need to allow God to deal with my old self. And, And I think, you know, Jacob must have, you know, looked back and he must have, he must have seen so much but yet he was looking up now and he was seeing God's work and he was seeing, allowing God to work in him. But he was also like, at what point, I wonder, did he look at Laban and felt like he was looking in a mirror? Deceiver, deceiver. And see, Jacob was honestly very gracious, I think, in how he dealt with Laban. But I think part of it was, I've been there. I've done that. Now I know maybe a little bit of how Esau felt. Maybe I know a little bit now of how my dad felt. 
Will we allow God to work such a work of grace in our lives that we will treat ourselves with grace and treat others with grace? What an incredible opportunity that we have to learn from this mess. And Jacob is just living out some beauty. So here's Laban's response. Jacob has come to Laban. He's like, how could you? This is not right. Laban's response is this. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Really? Jacob did so. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his his servant Bilhah uh, to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. So, honestly, what I've had in my mind as we're going back and studying, I was a little surprised because I was thinking he had to work another seven years first, but he actually had her. So, really weird though. Week with Leah, week with Rachel, work. Seven more years, and that's just to, so that he really has her as his wife. And then there's going to be another six years, and that's a whole mess. But what's happening? So, he's looking at 13 more years with Deceiver, 13 more years dealing with character Laban. But yet God is going to move miraculously. He's going to do incredible things through it all. You know, will we, again, allow God to just be God over all of our situations? Will we allow him to move his plan forward even when it feels like our plan has moved back? Will we allow him to, 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 again, draw us closer to himself and work situations even when it feels like it's for our bad, but it's, it is for our good and it's for his glory? Will we keep pressing on? And Jacob did that. God is still at work. I want you to see how God is still at work. Comparison now comes to a climax in these last five verses. But I want you to see how God is working in this mess. So we go to verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. I've brought him a son. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I, have, I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. This issue, Rachel and Leah, Rachel has love, Leah has sons. They both want what the other has. And Jacob is in the middle of this comparison. Now, honestly, he was, Jacob, Jacob was done wrong. There's no doubt about it. But Leah was in the middle of all this. And as Jeff and I were talking about this passage, you know, I was, I was really looking at how, like, Jacob was cheated and how, you know, how, you know, I was looking at Jacob's growth too, but I was really looking at Jacob. But then as we talked, it's like Jeff really helped, helped me to see this, is that, that, that Leah is such a central character in this because she's a person too. And imagine how she feels in this whole scenario. The older daughter with the weak eyes 
the only way she could be married was through trickery. You know, and the reality is, is that we can probably relate to Leah very well at places in our lives, past and present. You know, we can relate to her, but we, it's important that we see that, this, that in verse 31 it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. That God sees us in those places where we feel abandoned. He sees us in those places where we feel cheated, when we feel unloved and undesirable. And what incredible beauty that God not only sees, but he works on our behalf. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about what what Jesus said in Luke chapter four when he's in the synagogue and he took and he read from Isaiah and he read this and and he said that this scripture is being fulfilled in your presence. He said, this is me. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God comes to us. When, when, when we're at that low place, he's always for us. He's always with us. But he comes to us, he sees us, and he meets us where we are. And then, he, again, he blesses with children. So Leah, we just read three. We're going to read the fourth. She has four sons now. Later, she's going to have two more sons. She's going to have a daughter. The three sons, though, that we've just read about, Reuben, that name means see a son. Like, to, like Jacob, look, I've given you a son. Will you love me now? It says, see a son. In Hebrew, it actually sounds like, uh, sounds like God has seen my affliction. Then we have Simeon. One who hears is what that name means. And it's God, you know, she's proclaiming, God, you have heard me. And then Levi means attached. It means to join. Now, Levi was later become the priestly tribe. It's from Levi the one third son born to Leah, that the priest would come. That includes Moses and Aaron. These are descendants born to Jacob through Leah. Absolutely amazing when you think this, the way that God is working. But again, we can feel so much like Leah. One thing I read is this, is that Leah was, she she was disregarded, she was discarded, and she was displaced. Think about that. She was disregarded by Jacob. She was discarded by her father, by Laban, and she was displaced by Rachel. How many times have we felt these very things? How many times have we been searching for fullness and for fulfillment on this level and we have come up feeling short? There's something for that. I mean, you know, God has created the beauty of creation, the beauty of people. But yet we need to be careful that the beauty of creation and the beauty of people and what God's created don't become idols. That, that we're putting our stock in people and relationships and things and standing and reputation and all that, that, that we're looking for things from people and situations and things and happenings that only God can fill. Those are called idols. It's when I put things in, in a place higher than God, when I'm expecting things from people or from things that only God can provide. But we don't stop there. This last verse, 
is an incredibly beautiful revelation. We're going to end with this, because, and there's such beauty in this. Three sons were born, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. And verse 35, she conceived again. There we go, thank you. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. This time I will praise the Lord. Judah means praise. This fourth son, she's trying to find that fulfillment with Jacob. She's trying to look on the horizontal to find what only God can give. And then finally, the fourth son comes, and she's looking up and says, this time I will praise the Lord. I'm going to look vertical. I'm not going to expect things from the horizontal that only God can give. Want to hear really incredible beauty? Okay, from Levi comes the, the, the priest. That's the line of the priest. From Judah comes Jesus. From Judah comes Jesus. You look in the lineage of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3, and is through, it's, it's Jacob, and then, and then Judah is the son that, that's in the line of Christ, born to Leah. Amen. God lifts the, the, the downhearted, the brokenhearted, the one who is neglected. God lifts up. Remember, upside down kingdom, that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Leah has gone through these feelings. She's felt, again, the, the, the dis disregarded and, and discarded and displaced, but yet God says, my daughter, I'm gonna honor you. Through you will come my son. Do you know we were singing early, earlier that praise from Revelation chapter five? Do you know how Jesus is described there, part of the description? The lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to take the scroll and break its seals. The root of David, David is in the same line. Look at how God does this amazing work. So how does that apply to you? How does it apply to me? Need help there, please? We'll stay. There we go, thank you. The contentment comes when we allow God to be for us what no one else or nothing else can ever be. It says that after Judah was born, she stopped having children. Now, she's going to have children later, but she found this place of contentment when she allowed God to be for her what no one else and nothing else could ever be. You know, it's been said that there's a God-shaped hole in every one of us. It's true. We were created to know God, to walk with him, to be in a love relationship with him. And we need to allow God to be that very thing in our lives where he is, he is foremost, he is front center, he is priority. No one else or nothing else is before him. And when we find that place, we find a place of contentment, we find a place of peace. We go beyond living this, in, in this mindset of comparison where we're looking on the horizontal and we look vertical and all of a sudden the striving stops. Do you know what really helps me as far as comparison? If I look at a person, and, 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 I've, and God's been leading me in this, like when I look at a person, if I find myself you know, looking at someone and, and making things of comparison, what God's really been convicting me of is like right away, it's like, do you realize how much I love them? I love them as much as I love you. Every person. It's transformational. It's, it, God's really been working this work in me. But it's when I, when I stop looking on the horizontal comparison level and I look to God that the comparison stops. And I'm stopped in my tracks, and I say, thank you, God, you're, you're freeing me, you're delivering me, you're moving me 
from this comparison thing that is such a trap and can be such a bondage in our lives. So will we compare everything in light of God? So when I see how much God loves me, lack of love from others doesn't hurt as much. I didn't say it doesn't hurt. But when I'm not getting love from others, the way that maybe I even should, when I realize how much God loves me, it doesn't hurt as much. When I realize he loves me, he knows me most and loves me most. When I see God's infinite provision, my need doesn't seem insurmountable. When I think of, 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 again, practical needs in my life, and then I look upward and I see how much God has, his provision, there's peace, there's contentment, there's even joy. When I see God's complete forgiveness, my failures no longer burden me down. Look at God, look at him. When I see God's promise of eternal life with him, the destruction that this world is is facing doesn't weigh me down. I look forward to his redemption that is gonna be eternal. This is time and it will pass. But let's look vertical. Let's see, again, how God is desiring to speak into us and lift us from these traps of comparison to work even through our failures, to work through even the consequences of our sin and say, I wanna speak life. I wanna bring Jesus through that. That's what happened with Leah, and that's what can happen with you and with me. God is so good. We don't deserve it. God is so good, and he loves us. So where, do we, where do we go? What do we do from here? How do we go on? How do we take this? Here's some things to consider for this week. So as we, thank you. I'll stop if you guys want to take it. Thank you, okay. Um, So living this out this week, like this is how some things that you consider. Now God may speak to you you specifically in in another way, but here's some things to consider. One, thank God that he can bring the life of Jesus into every circumstances of life. You know, so many times we miss that, we forget it, but God can use this very, take this very circumstance and bring Jesus through it. Look at Leah, be encouraged. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring to light how earthly comparisons are robbing you of the full life that God has for you. Just, Holy Spirit, just speak to me. Like, show me. And he'll do that. And it's, and it's to help you. It's to move you forward in your walk. Compare the love and the greatness of God with every challenge and brokenness in your life and in this world. Like, when, if I get too focused on, he, on this stuff, it's overwhelming. When I look at him, this looks completely different. Because I realize he's greater. He's overall. He hasn't stopped being God. He's still God overall. And then I want to invite you to read uh, these next two chapters. They're going to be even more fun <laughs> in some ways than this one. Uh, but look ahead to Genesis chapters 30 and 31. Uh, so I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to uh, just look to him again and make a declaration that I trust will lift your heart and your spirit as we close. God, thank you so much, Lord, for this day. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, for your love. God, we thank you that you're God overall. You never stop being God. And Lord, we thank you that, that you watch over us, that you're with us wherever we go, and that you are here right now, wherever we are, whether here or joining online, God, that you are with us, and God, that you are desiring to lift us from a life of comparison and to a life of looking to you and embracing the life that only you can give. So God, we want to focus on you more than anything else. God, we want nothing to come between 
the life that, that you have for us and the life that we are present living, we want to find that fullness of life and we know that it's only in Christ. So Lord, we now just offer this ourselves in worship to you. God, make this declaration, Lord, that there's nothing else, nothing else greater than you. Just have your way in us right now in Jesus' name.